Well, it's great to be here again. I was here on the first night I arrived, well, within 24 hours of arriving, and I'm now here within 24 hours of leaving. So I um, just want to say it's been great being here. But tonight I want to speak about, just build on something that I spoke about the last time, and the miracle is in the stretch. Whew, these, these lights are very bright. <laughs> but anyway, that's cool. Um, and I want to build on the part of the word that I spoke, and the miracle is in the stretch, and that is in seeing big. Tonight, I want to speak about what are the lenses that you're looking through? What are the lenses that you're viewing your daily life and your future through? Because you see, your perspective will impact your daily life, and it will impact your destiny. I want to read you the story. I read this um, in an article, and I'm going to read it just as the lady wrote it. And it was a vision that she had seen that God had showed her but it just spoke volumes to me. So just picture this with me, if you will. I saw a small boy standing on tiptoe, his face pressed against a shop front window. It was a candy store, and the entire window was filled with all kinds of cakes and goodies that any child would find desirable. Somehow knew in his back pocket he had one small coin, and oh, how I felt the limitation of that one little coin. Then the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, same boy, same amount of money in his pocket, but his father owns the store. Suddenly, our whole paradigm shifts. Because how did you feel when it was just a little boy standing outside looking into the candy store with just one small little coin? in his pocket. I don't know about you, but I felt quite distressed for him. You know, if it was me, I would want to help him out, and I could just imagine the, the longing and the desire to, to purchase something more than he had. And yet, when you put his father into that picture, it's no longer dependent on the amount of money that he has in his back pocket as to how much he can purchase. It's all dependent on his father and how much he's willing to give him. And you see, that's the same with us and God. Before we come to know him, it's like we're standing outside of the store and we're looking in. But the minute we ask him to come and we give him our lives and we say, we want to do this journey with you, Lord, we are no longer standing on the outside. But immediately we become sons and daughters of the living God. And where we were on the outside looking in, suddenly everything becomes available to us because we know that we serve a good God. We know that we serve a God that wants to bless us and he wants to do it exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever dream or imagine. His heart is for you. His desire is to see you prosper, not just financially, but his desire is to see you prosper physically, mentally, socially, emotionally, spiritually, in every facet and area of your lives. We serve a good God. We serve a good daddy, and he loves us. And you see, we are like that little boy, but we get to access everything that is, is, belongs to our Father. We get to access everything. We are not on the outside of the store. We are on the inside. Because you see that little boy standing on the outside, before you put his dad into that picture, it was a very different story. 
And you know what? He stood there alone, looking in. He stood there with one small coin. If you think about it in this candy store, you could be that boy on the outside. You could also be an employee. And in that instance, you would have to be working for if for the money that you received. You'd have to be working for something. But you see, we don't have to do that because we don't stand as employees. We don't stand as orphans. We don't stand on those on the outside. We get to stand in his presence. We get to stand with him. And that's the difference. And he wants something to shift in the inside of us. Because you see, when we stand in the presence of God as his sons and daughters, we should see things very differently. We should experience things very differently. And that will affect the way we think, the way we act. And you see, the other thing that that picture was dependent on was him asking his father. He says, come to me, ask of me, and it will be given to you. You know, if we ask him for bread, he is not going to give us a stone. He loves us. He cares for us. And tonight I want to speak about a story that I mentioned the last time, but just go into a little bit more detail to kind of put this um, into perspective for us. And I want to look at the 12 Israelites again, the leaders that went in to spy out Canaan, their promised land. And you know that God has a promised land or a destiny for each one of our lives. He has a purpose and a plan for each one of our lives. And he had told, told them about Canaan, their promised land. And these 12 Israelites went in. And you know what? They all saw the same thing. They all experienced the same thing. They all heard the same things. But on their return, 10 of them came back with this report. The land is fruitful, but the enemy are giants. They are huge. They are enormous. And we are as small as grasshoppers in comparison to them. We can't attack them because they are bigger and stronger than what we are. We have no hope. We cannot do it. We will be defeated. However, two of the men, Joshua and Caleb, they come back with a very different report. And they say this, the enemy is huge, but... He has no protection because God is on our side. He will go ahead of us and take the ground. He will go ahead of us. We are on the conquering side. We will conquer. We will be victorious. We will have the enemy and we can take possession of that land. Twelve men go in. They all see, experience, and hear the same things. And yet they come out with two very different conclusions. Why? I believe it's because they had a different perspective on what they saw. You see, Joshua and Caleb saw themselves as sons of a living God. A God who was faithful, who they knew they could depend on. A God that was good. That he was faithful to his word. They had heard his word. They believed his word. And they were prepared to act on his word. And it changed the way they saw everything. In Romans 8, 14 to 15, it says this. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. 
and by him we cry, Abba, Father. We did not receive a spirit of fear, but a spirit of sonship. We are sons and daughters of the living God. We do not stand on the outside. We stand on the inside in relationship with him. You see, the problem was this. The other 10 leaders, they still harbored a perspective based on their years in slavery in Egypt. They were coming from an orphan slave mentality. That was their perspective. And that was what was different. And we have to look out, because they came with the thing of, we've got to look out for ourselves. We've got to care for ourselves. We've got to do this on our own because we cannot trust anybody else to protect us. And yet Joseph and Caleb were saying, our God is on our side. Our God will go before us. Our God will prepare a way for us. Our God will deliver this land into our hands. And I don't know what situation or circumstance you're facing right now, but I'm challenging you as I speak tonight that you begin to allow God to shift your perspective and the lenses that you're looking through so that you would begin to see your circumstance and situation the way he sees it the way he views it, and that hope will begin to rise on the inside of you because he is a good God, and we are sons and daughters of the living God, and he has good gifts for us. So what is perspective? Another expression for the word perspective is your point of view. It is the way we see something. So the word, and the word perspective actually comes from two Latin words with the meaning of see and through. And so when we talk about seeing the world through somebody else's eyes or seeing something, we are actually saying we're talking about looking at life from their perspective, from their viewpoint. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to stop looking at it through our lives and what's happening around us through the eyes of others. Because often their report is not good. Often their report is like the 10 spies. Because they're seeing the circumstance for what it is in the natural. And God is saying, no, no, no. You're sons and daughters of the living God. I want you to see it from my perspective. Because from my perspective, you are victorious. From my perspective, all things are possible. From my perspective, you can be a conqueror. You do not need to be a victim. That is God's perspective. And you see, Joshua and Caleb... Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. The first point is our viewpoint will always come from our standpoint. Where are you standing? Who are you aligning yourself with? Where are you positioning yourself? What are you inclining your ear to? Because it's going to affect the way you view things, where you're standing. Joshua and Caleb stood as sons. They stood as sons and for us as daughters. And you see, I don't know about you, I've had the privilege of visiting many cities around the world. And you know, when you arrive there, if if you've not been there before, you need often a map. Particularly if you're going like, say, for London, uh, London and the underground and all those things, you need a map. And I've been to London, I've been to New York, um, Sydney, Paris, other cities. And if I didn't have a map, I wouldn't have a clue where I was going. But the problem is with a map... It's all at this level. You're looking, you're watching, you're walking, and you don't have a bigger perspective of what that city actually looks like or where things are actually positioned. 
So when you're walking, it's kind of just what's in front of you, what's on the sides of you, and you go down this street and that street, and then you might see this, and then you kind of get lost, and then you kind of get yourself back on track and go this way, maybe ask for a few directions along the way. But I don't know, um, but what happens is, is, for instance, in New York, we went up to um, the Empire State Building. We went up to the top, and suddenly, and then in London, you've got the, the London Eye, um, in our area of the Gold Coast, you've got the Q1 and Andy and Luke and Rachel and then went up that. I haven't been up it yet. But suddenly when you stand that far above the ground and you look down, I don't know about you, on those cities, suddenly things fall into perspective. You begin to be able to place where, for instance, the Statue of Liberty is, how, the, um, how New York works, where the streets are, where some Central Park is. And you can kind of now begin to picture it in a much more... Um, realistic way. Has anybody found that or is that just me? As soon as you go above, you can suddenly place things, particularly in London where you can see where um, Kensington Palace, Buckingham Palace, you know where the um, Big Ben is, London Bridge. It suddenly takes on a totally different perspective and it brings clarity to the way you're viewing that city. And now when you're on the ground following your map, you have a much better idea of how it all fits together. And that's what God's wanting, because when we are walking at this level and we, we're kind of functioning on in, in the natural, we don't see things clearly. It's all a bit muddled, and we're kind of trying to find our way. But he is saying that we, um, the, our viewpoint will be determined by our standpoint. Where are we standing? You see, if we're standing in sons and daughters of a loving and powerful God, we see things very differently. To the people that are standing alongside us that feel like they have no hope, that feel like they are orphans. And yet he is here. He has come to save us. He's come to deliver us. He's come to set us free. He wants us to be free. He wants us to be healed. He wants us to be restored. And he wants us to see from his perspective. You know, for instance, I don't know if you've ever read the book Turkey and Eagles or Eagles and Turkeys. Do you remember that book, Linus? And I remember reading it and just the impact it had on me because it spoke about the turkeys and how they are earthbound. They are earthbound. They do not fly. And so they are stuck at this level. And they're forever looking down because they're picking off the ground. That's their perspective. And a lot of us, that's where we are. We're so busy looking down and feeding off the stuff that's around us. And that's where we are living. And yet then you see the eagle... And what does the eagle do? It soars on the thermoils, on the wind, you know, the thermoils. And that's what God's calling us to do. He's calling us to, thaw, um, to soar on the thermoils of the Spirit. He's calling us to lock into His plan and purpose, to rise above and to look down from that perspective. What I also love about the eagle is that it doesn't just go on the thermals, but it also, when there's a storm, it flies purposefully and intentionally into the eye of that storm. Why? Because in the eye of the storm is where it finds peace. It's the most peaceful place. The storm rages around it, but there, there is peace, and it is still, and it looks from that perspective. I read something else this week. I don't know if it's fact. Um, I saw it, and it might not be 100% factual, but it's, it, it, and it could be that the eagle, actually, when it catches a snake, it takes it, and it takes it up into the air, into its sphere of influence. It takes it up. It doesn't attack it on its level. It takes it above ground. Isn't that amazing? That's awesome. So it doesn't attack it on a worldly level. 
It takes it up into the air. And we can do that too. Everything that we come against, instead of us trying to attack it on this level, let's take it to God. Let's take it to Him. Let's ask Him what His perspective is. Let's ask Him how He's viewing or seeing this situation. Let's ask Him how He's wanting us to deal with it instead of coming from what the world is telling us to do. Let's shift the way we view that situation or circumstance. You know, I've got to be honest and repent and say that two weeks ago, Garnet and I had the privilege of going to Pinda for one night. And that was really big for us. I love, that's the one thing, I, I mean, I miss a lot about South Africa, but one of the things are the animals. I've seen a lot of kangaroos now. I've seen a lot of koala bears and possums and stuff like that. And they're awesome. They're great. But I miss the real deal. I miss the lions. I miss the elephants. I miss the cheetahs and the leopards. The buck, yeah, that's a g- cool. But I like the big five. That's it. If I ever go to Pinda and they say, what do you want to see? It's a kill. I love the kill. I love seeing that happen. Anyway, we went to Pinda, and I thought, we're there for one night. One night. So, Lord, please bless us with amazing sightings. We've paid a lot of money for this. And, yeah, I was really expectant. And we got there, and it was a lovely warm day, and we saw a few animals driving in. And, you know, I went to lay by the pool. And as we came up for our game drive and we stood there, the clouds rolled in. And I'm thinking, I've only got two game drives while I'm here. Lord, please don't do this to me. Please, it all became about me. I'm totally honest. It was all about me. I didn't care about anybody else. I just wanted to see game. That's what I was there for. I was paying for this. I'm here for this. It's my only chance. I don't know when I'll be there again. And anyway, the clouds just rolled in. And our our, um, game ranger said to us, listen, we're going to just wait this out a little bit. I'm sure it's going to storm. We're just going to wait. I'm thinking, that's not fair. These guys are going out on the drive. We're sitting here. We're missing out. I don't like to miss out. And so that kind of stuff was all going on in my head, and I'm not very impressed, and I'm sitting there waiting. And the storm hit in massive force. We couldn't even see off the veranda. The rain was that hard. You could see nothing. Anyway, the other teams that had gone out, uh, praise God, our game ranger had... um, he was seeing from a different perspective than what I was seeing from. And the other two uh, um, vehicles came in within about 20 minutes. They had been hailed on. The thunder and the lightning were intense. My mother would never have survived. And, I mean, it's open vehicles, okay? So they said they could not even see in front of their vehicle. They don't even know how the game rangers drove their vehicles back. And so we sat there, and I was not—I was just getting more unimpressed by the minute. But anyway, so I was praying, and I'm declaring, and I'm doing my thing. Anyway, after about an hour and a bit, we got, about an hour and a half, we actually got to go out on a game drive. But it was the most amazing thing. God just shifted my perspective as I realized this isn't about me. And because of the intensity of the rain, there had been about 30 millimeters in that short space of time. And so they couldn't off-road either, which wasn't impressing me to start off with because I'm thinking, well, that's great. We're not going to see anything. But anyway, as we started to drive, it was the most amazing thing. The excitement on the game rangers' faces and on the, the trackers' faces was incredible. Every vehicle you'll pass, they just said to us, we're not even going to tell you. Just look with your own eyes. It's just, you could just see they were just overwhelmed not realizing the goodness of God, but just overwhelmed by what was going on because now suddenly there were streams and rivers everywhere where they have had no rain for so long that they've been bringing water in to keep the animals alive. They've had animals dying. They've had to shut part of the camps down because they can't accommodate with the water for the people that are there. They've even had to up their rates, which I wasn't impressed with either because they've got to bring in water. And yet, here they were just totally amazed as rivers and streams just flowed all over the place. 
where the dam was that had been empty for so long, there was water. The hippos were walking across the roads and going in to the water. And suddenly God just shifted my perspective and I, I, I had to take my eyes off myself and just began to see the awe and wonder of these game rangers as they just sat there amazed at what was happening in their natural environment. And I had to repent and say, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And, you know, he began to shift something else in me. He began to show me what the name of our, our fellowship in Australia really looks like. Because we named our um, fellowship Streams of Life. And, you know, for me, streams in my head was just these lovely little streams, you know, going along and joining up together. And suddenly I saw streams in a totally different perspective because the water was gushing in places that it hadn't been before. And God's beginning to speak to me about that a little bit. And just he's just showing me a totally different perspective of what all of that looks like. So that was just how he shifted my perspective in the last um, week or so. But the other thing about a perspective is it affects your attitude, which then in turn affects your altitude. I know it's a famous saying that all of us has heard, but you see the perspective of 10 of those spies affected a whole nation. It said it affected the attitude of Israel. The whole nation was affected. What happened was they began to grumble. They began to complain. I'm sure there was a lot of, but God said, and now he's not delivering. And, and you know, there's a lot of blame probably, a lot of um, bitterness, a lot of anger, a lot of unbelief. A lot of that was going on amongst the Israelites. And they began to get really, really grumpy. And you see, the the, our perspective will affect our view of life. It affected what those 10 said, affected the view of the rest of the whole nation. And do you know what happened there? Because of their viewpoint, they actually landed up staying in the wilderness for another 40 years. Another 40 years because of their grumbling and complaining. And because they choose to position and align themselves with the 10 spies, they came back with bad reports Instead of aligning themselves and positioning themselves with the two spies, they came back with God's report. And you know, a lot of us, our perspective has a direct impact upon our destiny and our daily lives. And a lot of us might be in a wilderness right now, and sometimes we go through that and God allows that because he's teaching us something and he's building character, and he's always building character. But let me tell you, when you say, I'm not carrying God, or I don't know why he's put me here, often we put ourselves there. We're ready to blame the enemy and blame God and blame anybody else, but actually we put ourselves there because of our viewpoint and who, where, we try, where we choose to align ourselves and position ourselves. And so sometimes we need to just take a really good look at ourselves and say, where am I positioning myself? What am I seeing? From whose perspective am I seeing? Who am I listening to? Who am I aligning myself with? Because then we'll very quickly know if we're aligning ourselves with God, with ourselves, or with the world. And so don't be so quick to blame. Question and just say, God, am I seeing this from your perspective or from my own? I just want to demonstrate this. One of these lenses is broken, so please, can I put, no, I can't. Okay. Like I've said, I've just lost the lens. Um, I'll try and find it difficult to the light here. Okay, so I've got a lens. So these are the, the lenses. They're a bit dark, as you can tell. Through, I can't see you too well, but these are the lenses that I'm looking through, okay? And there are lots of things that come at us in life that affect the way we see things. 
Maybe it's unbelief. Maybe you've believed God for a promise or a word over your life and you haven't seen it fulfilled. And because you haven't seen it fulfilled instantly when you've asked for it or heard it, unbelief begins to come and take a hold of the way you think, see, and act and the way you believe God. Maybe, I can live in this place, anger. Maybe we become angry with the way the world is treating us, certain people are treating us, people at work, people at school, whatever it is. Or maybe we're carrying anger against a certain person. And that begins to affect the way we view things. Maybe it's shame. Maybe there are things that have happened in your past or things that you've even done recently and you feel shame. And because of that, you've never been set free from that and you carry shame wherever you go. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe there are things you are doing or things that you have done that actually make you feel guilty. And so when you view life, you're seeing it from that place of guilt instead of from the place of freedom. Maybe it's rejection. Could be parents, could be a boyfriend, a girlfriend from the past, a husband, a wife, could be children, whatever it is, friends, relatives, close family members, and you have felt rejected. And because of that, you operate from a place of rejection. And so no matter what happens, you're always the one that feels rejected. Maybe it's fear. I operated from this place for close on six years where it became a total prison for me. It, I can't see much, but anyway. It was really debilitating in the sense of this. We had a burglary when I was 12 years old. My dad was the Methodist minister, thanks, talks, in a man's in Toti. And um, he was the Methodist minister. And we went away for a weekend to um, Salt Rock. And during that weekend, our house was burgled, the Methodist manse. And my brothers, my bro uh, both my brothers stayed at Salt Rock, and I went back with my parents. And the minute I walked through that door, fear attached itself to me. And I lived in the grip of that fear for six years. It was so bad that I would not sleep in a room on my own, right up till the age of 18. If my brothers weren't home, George would actually be the one that would have to sleep in my room with me. And that wasn't pleasant because he used to grind his teeth all night. And that kept me awake, but I was willing to live with it as long as he was with me in the room because I would not be alone. It was so bad that even when they weren't home, I'd then sleep in my parents' bed, even at the age of 18, with both my parents because that's how bad the fear was. I was a prefect in a boarding school, and uh, it's so funny how things work. My bedroom landed up being at the entrance to the hostel where the door was, and I was petrified of that because if anyone was coming in, they were getting me first. And so what I used to do was we used to have people that made our beds for us as prefects. And what I would do, there was one or two rooms along the corridor that were empty. So when everybody else was asleep, I'd stay up later than everybody, go down the passage, sleep in that bed, make it at four o'clock in the morning, go back to my room, mess up my bed so they thought I'd slept in my room. That went on for six months of matric. Until the point where, Deline, you will remember this actually. Deline was my youth pastor at that time. And um, it was in the July, and I was prayed for, and I was delivered from fear. Uh, and Deline was part of that, and I was delivered and set free instantly. But let me tell you something. It's a road that you walk. And if you heard my story about Australia when we were burgled last year in Australia, um, you will understand that that fear tried to come back and grip me. Because Garnet not stay, uh, he was staying at home at that stage, but we had lived with these neighbors for over a year doing all kinds of things. That fear 
keeps trying to come back. But the more I resist it and the more I take authority over it, the more it backs off. But when I'm weak and the enemy's eyes, he will try and bring it back. But I've got to stand my ground and see God shows me ahead of time what's going on. So I can take my ground and take authority. And I was set free. But let me tell you something. This is how cunning the enemy was. In that particular home, we had never been burgled. But that night that I was set free, I got home and my dad and mom said, are you coming to sleep with us tonight? And I said, no, my brothers went home. I'm going to sleep downstairs in my room on my own because I am free. Do you know that the burglars got it, tried to get into our house. They smashed the glass of the room next door to my room. I did not hear them, which was a miracle in, my, in itself. My dad heard it from upstairs. But what was the enemy trying to do? Come back and intimidate me at that point in my life. But I was only told about it a week later, and I thought, no, I'm going to stand my ground. So fear can come, and it can grip you like it did me for a long time. This is a very big one, offense. A lot of us take offense at a lot of things, but let me tell you something. When you pick up a spirit of offense, you view everything through the lens of offense. doesn't matter what anybody does, you become offended, and you take it out on everybody around you, and it's not pleasant, and we need to be set free from it. We need to release and let go. And then the other big one, obviously, is unforgiveness. A lot of us carry unforgiveness. Can I take this off with this? A lot of us carry unforgiveness. And the thing is, we get stuck there. The Bible says if we are not willing to forgive, we imprison ourselves. Nobody else imprisons us. We imprison ourselves. You put yourself there. You have a choice to make, to walk into freedom. You have a choice to say, God, I come to you tonight and I'm asking you to do a divine exchange with me right now. And you can choose to hand over shame and experience freedom. You can choose to hand over rejection and know that you are no longer a slave. You are no longer an orphan, but you are a son and a daughter of the living God. You can uh, choose to get rid of anger and begin to operate out of a place of love. You can choose to let go of forgiveness and walk in freedom because you are no longer bound or in a prison cell. Offense, fear, walking in freedom. What is it? The power, uh, my mind's gone blank. Let's say it again. He has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Guilt. Unbelief. That's how our, the way we view things affects, is, we are affected by it. You see, God wants to shift something in us. He wants to give us a paradigm shift, just like with that story that we start, started with, with the little boy standing on the outside. He wants something to shift for us. You see, when something shifts from God's perspective, it, it means this. It means that a David can stand in front of a Goliath with a sling and a stone. It means that a Paul and a Silas can sit in a prison cell in a dungeon and praise and worship their God. It means that a Noah can build a boat where there has been no rain for years and hundreds of years because God has spoken and he's beginning to see something differently. It means a Caleb and a Joshua can begin to take nations and cities for God because they see something different to what other people see. And deep down, each of us know that God has given us each a purpose. He's given us each a destiny to fulfill while here on earth. He has, as it were, a promised land for each of us. And we need to be asking, are we standing in the presence of God as his son and daughters and heirs of his kingdom? 
We need to begin to see what heaven sees. We need to begin to see what heaven sees because it brings a fresh revelation and it brings a kingdom perspective. Some of you might have heard this, but in February, um, God, uh, as you know, I've been placed in a school as a chaplain and it's become my, uh, my daily, everyday work and I love it. I really enjoy what I do. But it was, it was like a job for me. Yes, I'd pray for people and yes, I'd witness to people and yes, I'd speak to people. But, you know, it just became the run of the mill everyday thing that I did. And in February, I went to a conference in Sydney and um, one of the people was speaking and they mentioned, they were talking about uh, Peter in the boat when he went fishing and he spent that whole night on the water and he caught nothing and he came back. And I mentioned this the other morning, but the thing that gripped me was I felt God say to me, what are you carrying? What is in your hands right now? Because I can be so busy looking for something else in God, but where are the people I'm meant to speak to? Where are the people, you know, and all that, so busy looking for a ministry or a position or a title or whatever it is. And yet God said to me, what are you carrying right now? What have I placed in your hand right now? And it actually, I had to stop and think, and I thought, well, God, you've, you've placed Livingston School in my hands right now. And he said to me, okay, well, let's think about that. How many children? 1,100. How many teachers? About one staff, 160. How many families represented there? Hundreds. And he said to me, that is your net right now. And so I walked into school on the Monday morning and something shifted on the inside of me. Why? Because I began to see it from God's eyes and God's perspective, not my own. It wasn't just my everyday job or a school I went to just to fulfill what I had to do. No, it became, I became far more intentional. And it was amazing because when that shift happened, opportunities began to present themselves so much more. It, it's um, the, the day I got back on the Monday morning, a girl came into my office. She saw me in the school and she said, I need you to pray for me. And I said, sure. It was a high school girl, which is uncommon um, because they don't often ask for prayer. And I said, let's go back to my office. And I said, what can I pray for? She said, one of my friends on Facebook this morning, I only saw it at seven, but at four o'clock, he said he was ending his life. And she said, and I can't get hold of him because he's taken himself off every kind of um, uh, media. And I don't know whose parents are. I don't know how to get hold of him, and I don't know how to check up on him right now. And she said, so will you pray with me? Because I don't know what's going on. So we prayed. And boy, I began to declare life. I began to call forth life. I began to speak life over this person. I didn't know he was. He wasn't from the school. And we just released and prayed and declared. And anyway, she came back. I saw her in the school about two days later. I said, so what happened? And she said, no. He's in hospital. I heard he's in a hospital. He's in ICU. But all he keeps saying is, I don't understand why I'm still here. And I said to her, well, you and I both know why he's still here. Because we spoke life. We declared life. Because God has a plan and a purpose for his life. And so that was just a, an awesome story. About a day later, another girl came to me out of the blue again, a high school girl. And she said to me, please, will you pray for me? A friend of mine has gone missing. We can't find her anywhere from the area. It should be missing for two days. So I said, sure, let's pray. Not knowing if she'd self-harmed. It's very big in Australia or what had taken place. We prayed. We declared. We spoke life. We did it all again. And um, I found her, I saw her a few days later. I said, so what happened? And she said to me, she was found. She's all fine. And I'm not saying we were the only people praying. 
I'm not saying it was only my prayer. But when people pray, and when you begin to see it from God's perspective, not as hopeless, but you speak hope and you speak life, something changes in the spirit realm. We need to begin to see from his perspective. I had a mom come in um, about two weeks before I left. A mom came and she came to just speak to me about a child who I've been seeing off and on. Um, he's battling with uh, separation, anxiety, and a whole lot of things. And she came, and I could see she was in a really bad state, and I was ministering to another teacher, and I said to her, please wait, I need to speak to you. So she came into my office um, with her husband. He had flown in. He was a workaway dad, flown in for three days because she was going through detox. She had had a major car accident uh, quite a few years ago. Then she carried two sets of twins on top of where she had broken her back and done whatever, whatever. So she had been on permanent morphine. And she was coming off morphine, and she was trying to do it without hospitals and without doctors. She was trying to do it on her own. And I, I sat there looking at her. She was nine days in. They told her she had 21 days to get over this, um, you know, to detox. And I looked at her at nine days, and honestly, on the inside of me, as I looked at her, she shook the whole time. She twitched the whole time. She was emotional. She couldn't, um, you know, she was a bit incoherent. And I thought, this woman needs hospital. She really needs to go to hospital. That would have been my advice to her if she had asked my advice. But anyway, I just said to her, can we just pray? I felt completely and utterly helpless. I thought, God, I don't see an end to this, but I'm going to ask you for your perspective. So all I did was I said, can I lay my hands on you? The other chaplain comes from a more um, conservative background, and he says we have glass that we use so we can always see what's going on if you're counseling just to keep ourselves accountable. And I could see him staring through the glass, and I'm laying my hands on this woman. I'm thinking, oh, Lord, he's going to think I've lost it. But anyway, so I'm praying for this woman, and her husband's sitting there, and she is crying. She is shaking uncontrollably. And I started praying, and I just felt God saying to me, just pray for the shalom of God. So I began to just declare the shalom of God, nothing missing, everything in order, into every part of her being. And somewhere along the line, she just became dead still. Not a twitch, not a shake, not a anything. And I continued to pray, and I stopped praying, and the husband looked at her and goes, that is the first time you've been still in the four days that I've been with you. And she just looked at me, and she burst out crying. She said, will you come home with me? I said, no, I can't come home with you. I said, but the same power that is invested in me is invested in you. And you get to speak and declare as much as I have spoken and declared. And if you need prayer, we will pray for you again. But you are totally able to call out to your living Father because he will hear you, and he will touch you. Two days later, she was back in school working in her child's class, helping out. I said, what's happening? She goes, I don't know, but I'm okay. So it was a real just a testimony of God's goodness. But you see, the Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to see circumstances, others and ourselves, the way the Father sees us. If we want to see from a different perspective, we need to get to know our Father. Just like that little boy, when he walked into the shop, he needed to know his Father. He needed to know what his Father was willing to give him. He needed to know what he could ask his father for. And we need to get to know the father. We need to get to know Jesus. We need to get to know the Holy Spirit. We need to be partnering with them on a daily basis. We need to be like that eagle and soar on the thermals of the Spirit. And we can only do that if we spend time with him, if we get to know him. And as you get to know him and you depend on him and you get to realize his love and his care and his grace, for you, his heart for you, something changes on the inside of you because you begin to realize who you are, what you can ask for, and what ground you can take because you see things from a different perspective. He has the power to restore our vision. 
He has the power to restore your perspective right now. If you could see your situation or your circumstances the way heaven sees it right now, how would that change your viewpoint? Think of just one situation in your life right now. If you could see it the way heaven sees it, how would that change your viewpoint? When we got back to um, South Africa now, I'm coming to an end. When we got back to South Africa um, and I met my parents-in-law, when I saw them for the first time again, the last time I saw them, they were wearing glasses. This time when I saw them, they both had cataract surgery. Is that the right word? Cataract surgery. They no longer wear glasses. And it changed their whole countenance. They look different because they don't have the glasses on their faces. Having that cataract has changed their vision to the point that they don't need glasses anymore. And that's in the spirit realm. That's what God wants to do for us. He wants to do cataract surgery. He wants to do our surgery on us so that we can see things through his lenses and not the lenses of this world. He wants to transform us. You see, because when we are discouraged, he's the one that brings hope. When we are fearful, he's the one that brings a word of faith. When we are hungry to know him, he reveals more of himself to us. When we are confused, I'm often in that place. He brings clarity. When we are critical or angry or carry unforgiveness towards others, he shares his love for us, which should impact our love for them. There was something else I wanted to say to you tonight. I'm a, I'm a South African living in a different nation. I do not carry the passport of that nation. And that is restrictive on us because next year Rachel will go to university and because we are not citizens, we have to pay for her university because we are foreigners in Australia. We have permanent residence, but we are not citizens yet. And that has a major effect on us because it allows us, you know, to receive certain benefits, but not others. And I got to the point the other day when I was thinking about this, where God said to me, you're not bound by the passport that you carry. That does not define who you are, what you are, or what you can receive. You are a son, daughter of the living God. You are now part of his kingdom. His kingdom come, his will be done. He is the one who governs you. Not a nation, not a country, not a passport. He gives you free access to everything that he owns, that is his. He gives us free access. We are not bound by circumstantial situation. We are not bound by our identity documents. We are his, and we need to view things differently. It's going to take courage to allow the Holy Spirit to test you and to shake your perspective. I'm willing to go on that journey. Are you willing to allow him to do our surgery in the spiritual realm for you tonight? Are you willing to say, Lord, will you take me higher so I can see from your viewpoint? Because when we do that, we will see that all things, like I've said, are possible in him. All things are possible. No matter what circumstance or situation you are facing, he is able to break in, break through, and bring you into freedom. He is able to bring you into victory. Just like with those spies, Joshua and Caleb, we can take the land. We can possess the land. Why? Because he is on our side and he goes before us and we are sons and daughters of a living God. 
Isn't that awesome? Can we stand? Maybe for some of you, you need to do some of this. There needs to be a divine exchange that happens for you tonight. You need to trade. Give God the things that have been obstructing your vision. Give it to him tonight. Say, Lord, I've lived with looking through the lens of fear or offense or rejection or unforgiveness. Will you come and do our surgery? And will you do a divine exchange with me tonight so that I can see my circumstantial situation through the eyes you have given me, through your eyes from a kingdom perspective? Father God, I thank you for this time together. I thank you, Lord, that um, Holy Spirit, you just speak to us, you just shift us, you just do the work that is necessary in each one of us so that we no longer operate from a place of self or, or, in, um, or position or align ourselves with, with what others or what the world may be saying, but rather that we would take our position of, and our standpoint in you, that we would begin to see things the way you see them. Father, I'm asking you to break into every one of our situations. Right now, give us eyes to see what you see. Speak to us, Lord. Speak your life. Speak your truth. Surround us with your love. And right now, just in your hearts, I just want you to pray this after me. I wasn't going to do this, but I just feel to do this. And I'm just going to pray, and then I'm going to leave a blank, and you just fill in what it is that you want to give or do the uh, exchange with God tonight. So Father God, tonight I give you my, whether it's unbelief, fear, whatever. Tonight I give it to you. And Lord, I'm asking you to come and do eye surgery on me tonight. I give it to you. I take up your truth. I take up your word, and I'm asking you to help me to see things from your standpoint. In Jesus' name, amen.